Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. We are reading in this, uh, this text today, and today's uh, 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 reading was out of Luke 18, 9, and 14. So I want to grab a hold of that. And uh, if, if you would, read along with me as, as we go through this scripture in 18, 9 through 14. It says this. He also told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus God, I thank you that I am not like other men, exhortationers, unjust, adulterers, or even the tax collectors. That was extortioners. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I had to clarify that or my, yeah, I'd be in trouble later. Uh, verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this word, God. Um, I pray that it, Lord, as we unpack it, that you would uh, move me aside, God, that you would give us eyes to see, that you give us wisdom, Lord, to look into this scripture as we point to Easter and the resurrection. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's two key players in the story, and, and we talk about these players throughout time because they come up time and time again. But the key player is the Pharisee, and the Pharisee, the first one, is, is a religious leader. He's a leader that would, would lead outside of the synagogues, and, and, and he would advocate for the average guy. He was looked up to, and he knew the Torah. He understood the Jewish law. This was the religious leader of the time, and they had great respect for him, the Jews did, and they followed them. And then we had the tax collector. The tax collector was a Jew that worked for the Roman Empire. Therefore, the Jews didn't like him. Tax collectors had terrible rap. They were not honest guys. They were not necessarily good guys. They always like to skim a little bit off the top for themselves. You know what it's like in Jersey. You skim a little, you know, you get the vig and you take care of it. This is what the tax collectors were like. They were hated by the Jews. So we've got this picture of these two different ends of the spectrum, as it were. The Pharisee and the tax collector. And I want to look at them today. And as you read this, this sacred spaces, he had an interesting thought, this writer. Um, and he said this, no one is wholly a tax collector or a Pharisee. But he essentially says all of us can play the role. We are not wholly Pharisees in this religious way. And we're not wholly tax collectors skimming off the top. But each one of us on some level at some time in your being has been both. 
And as we look at our lives, I want you to examine and go, where am I falling? Where am I? And what did Jesus say about it? The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, I want to hit from two basic angles. One of the gospel, which is our value of up, up in and out. It's our relationship with God. That's the gospel. The good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That is the gospel. And then the second one is the heart, the in and out, our relational aspects. I'm hitting the gospel, and some of you are probably going, oh, you're hitting the gospel again. You hit the gospel every week. I hit the gospel every week because the hope of Christ and the glory of Christ is in the gospel. If I preach anything outside of the gospel, I'm not preaching the totality of this word. I'm not preaching what sets us free. The gospel is what brings me hope. The gospel is what delivers me. The gospel is what allows me to get up in the morning when everything else looks like it's a mess. The gospel is what I stand on. Therefore, how can we preach outside of the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's the up relationship that we have with God. Let's look at this. The gospel. Jesus, once again, I talked about it last week, and it's very interesting. Jesus, once again, sets this tone of of just leveling the playing field. It's something that he does often that I love. He just kind of takes, you know, last week we talked about the rich man and and the beggar that sat at the gate, and Jesus goes, let me level the playing field. This week we talk about the big religious man and the, and the, the, the scammer, the tax collector, and he says, let me just level the playing field. And as you look into the, the, the places that you sit, you look into the relationships that you walk in, as you look into the churches that you visited, the, 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 the companies that you work in, the relationships that you have, know this for certainty, that God will level the playing fields. And as you look to that one or this one and go, oh God, what about them? Know for certain that God is about leveling the playing field. It says this in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now I know it's none of you. I am certain that there's no one in this room that acts like that. And as I was reading and going through these scriptures, uh, I I found myself, I hate that. I was preaching to you. You guys are the ones who need it. You are the sinners that are sitting in these seats that are going to hell apart from Jesus. You're the ones who need this message, not me. And and I'm sitting there going, I said, have I ever said this statement? I don't know that I've ever held people with contempt or trade. I'm sure I have. I know I have. But that self-righteousness, that righteousness that that, uh, we all have walked in at at some point. I was thinking about it, and uh, this year's been an interesting year in my family. We've been in some crazy places that we've never thought we would be in. We've been in situations that I, I, I couldn't have imagined, including sitting in on a number of occasions in a psychiatric hospital. Anybody ever been there? That's good. Only a couple of you. Not there like you were there because you needed to be there. I didn't mean that because then you no hands are going up. <laughs> But I was reading this parable and looking at it and going, this can't be me. I mean, I don't judge that. This self-righteous guy that says, you know, to 
it's all about me. I'm thinking it's not about me. And, 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 and in that, as I look back in this last year and sitting in some of these places, I can vividly remember thinking this thought as I look around and see the people sitting and hear the conversations going forth. And the thought in my mind is, thank you, God, I'm not like them. And the thought that goes through my head, the thought that's rolling through my head is, God, that's not me. Those people are less than. Although I find myself in the middle of this place. But I'm the one who has got it all together. And they are the ones who have nothing together. And it just, it just reeks of the Pharisee. It reeks of self-righteousness. Only to dive deeper into this this week and have God level the playing field. Only to grab a hold of this in the morning and, oh God, what do you want me to preach? And what are you talking about here, God? And what are you doing? And only to have the Holy Spirit say, that's you. Gosh, I hate that. At first, I'm like, you're wrong, not me. Maybe Eddie, maybe Jim, maybe Pete, maybe it's Tracy, but it's not me. Of course, it's not Tracy. Maybe you too. But he smacks you in the face, the Holy Spirit, in a loving, gracious way, and says, keep reading. See, Jesus speaks regularly about righteousness. Jesus, throughout the the Gospels, he's talking about this righteousness and self-righteousness. And he's pleading with the people that he's talking to. He's embracing and speaking and he's, he's communicating with these people. And he's saying, look, here's the deal. Unless you understand your unrighteousness, unless you really understand what righteousness is, you have no idea what I'm here for. I'm here to bring the kingdom of heaven. And no one is righteous, not even one. Don't fool yourself and think that you're righteous. Not even one. Romans 3.10. You see, the gospel helps you to understand that righteousness and self-righteousness, it's essential if we want to understand Jesus' mission on earth. We have to understand these two. To save sinners, you and me, those who know they could not be saved themselves. It's the righteousness of God. The Pharisee and the tax collector, let's look at them. See, the Pharisee thought that their own goodness was so impressive that it could not fail to make them acceptable to God. You ever thought about that? I mean, I hear it all the time when I have conversations with non-believers. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm good enough. I'm a good person. And Jesus goes, no, there's no one good, not even one. The Pharisees thought, I've done enough. I've tithed enough. I've given enough. My time, my prayer. In fact, he sits up and goes and allows everybody to see how pious he is and sits in his self-righteousness, thinking very well that God has accepted him. And then the tax collector who, mind you, everybody hates, who has this encounter with God, some encounter with God. Something happens with this guy because he exhibits this brokenness, this humility, and a true understanding of who Jesus is. There's these two opposite sides of the spectrum that both of us, that we live in at some time. 
See, the Bible's understanding of human righteousness is this. It's God's own perfection. See, everything attributed has to be perfect. Every attribute, every attitude has to be perfect. Every behavior has to be perfect. Every word has to be perfect in order for you to be righteous before God. It looks something like this. If God is on the left, or whatever side that is, whichever way you're looking at it, and he's perfect and he's holy, there's no sin, there's no darkness, there is nothing vile in him. There's this great gap that is in, it, it, it can't be bridged. It's infinite, this gap. And on the other side of this gap is you and me. Sinful, fallen, fallible man. And something has to bridge the two. God cannot be in the presence of sinful man. And sinful man cannot enter the presence of God. Yet we have these Pharisees and we have religious people. And you and I who think our righteousness by what we do is going to get us in the presence of God. And it's not true. There's this gap that can't be filled. And we think in our mind, if I just do this, God will accept me. If I just do this, I'll be good enough. If I just give this, then God will be happy with me. And the reality is there's only one way. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. God gave his son Jesus to fill in the gap so that you and I might have a relationship with him. It is the blood of Jesus that bridges the gap. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ that allows us into the presence of God. It is that blood of Jesus, the relationship of God, that will allow us to spend eternity with him. Not your righteous works or seemingly righteous works has nothing to do with you and I. Why do I preach the gospel? Because if I understand this correctly, if I grasp the gospel, when I grab a hold of this truth that the gospel is the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, it sets me in the right pattern. It puts me in the right place to look at you, to look at others, and to look at my own life. And when I get outside of this truth of Jesus and the gospel, I start thinking I'm pretty good. Or I sit in a room, a waiting room, with unstable people, and I look at him and go, it's not me. I don't belong here. And I set myself up, and God levels the playing field, for there's none righteous. See, with the gospel, I fall short every time apart from Jesus. Says this in Colossians 2 13. And you who were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcised of circumcision of your flesh. That's tough, but here comes the hope. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us from our trespasses. See, if, if, if the gospel was left at, at just you deserve hell or you deserve or you're not good enough, what's life really about? But God brings the hope, the hope of Christ Jesus right in the middle of it, right in the middle of our trespasses, right in the middle of our flesh, right in the middle of our death. God brings his son Jesus to make us alive again. And when I hold on to that, when I keep it in front of me, my life is different. See, the hope of the gospel is this, that if we are truly brokenhearted over our sin, we can be assured of God's love and forgiveness. There's no amount of good works that gets us there, but it is the blood of Jesus that brings hope. 
And that is why God sent his son Jesus for you and for me. And every hopeless situation that sits in front of your face, every hopeless situation that is is sitting in your pocket that you're holding on to, every frustration, every anger, every one of those things is cured by one thing, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the Pharisee prayed and he trusted in himself. You look and you see that picture and it says that he stands boldly in the temple reciting his prayers, self-congratulating. His prayers are, 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 are there, there's no, God forgive me. There's no humility involved. There's no brokenness in his prayers. It is. Things are tight. Have you ever seen those guys? Everything is tight and together and put to, it's just like perfect. And you're going, things can't be that perfect. Something's got to be up with this guy or this girl. And this Pharisee is that person. Everything's together. And you look at it and go, I can never be that. It's too tight. Something's not right here. And it's not. It's not. And the results of his prayer, he might as well have just stayed home. Because God heard nothing. He heard absolutely nothing. And then we have the tax collector. Puts his trust in Jesus. And he stood afar off in a distance. And I can only imagine this guy, you know, uh, it, it, having been hated by the Jews, having been just, just, just in a difficult situation, working for the Romans, all that was going on. And he, it, there's just, he stood off in a distance. And something happened in his soul. Something happened to this man, and it was Jesus. Because all of a sudden, he looked his eye, lifted his eyes to heaven. And in all of his unworthiness, see, that's not who the tax collectors were. The tax collectors were very confident. They were confident in who they were because the Roman Empire was behind them. They were confident in what they could ask for. That's how they could skim off the top and take more than they were supposed to because they were backed by the Roman Empire. These were men that weren't lacking confidence. Yet this man had an encounter with Jesus, so much so that he was standing in the background and there's a humility and he wouldn't look up to to the heavens. He wouldn't lift his eyes and, and the burden of life was on him and the guilt and the shame and the weight that he felt because of his sin. The gospel had hit him right in the heart. The truth of who Jesus was was right there. So much so that there was humility. And the load that he couldn't carry that was unbearable, he didn't have to anymore. See, he was overcome by the transgression. So much so it says that he beat his breasts in sorrow and repentance and appeals for God's mercy. It's a man who understands who he is. It's a man who's broken. It's a man who doesn't walk into a situation and go, I'm better than everyone in this place. And the results? It's a prayer that God is waiting to hear. It's a prayer that's accepted by God. See, here's the deal. Do you know that God already knows you intimately? All of your facades that you put up, that I put up, that we put up, he already knows. 
But when you look in the mirror and you understand who you truly are, you can prostrate yourself before God and say, oh, God, have mercy. And the beauty of it, God is faithful to bring hope. He's faithful to forgive. He's faithful to love. He's faithful in your life and in mine. It says that he hears his prayer. One rejected the gospel and trusted in himself. One received the gospel and was redeemed. One will have spent an eternity apart from God. One will have spent an eternity with God. Why? Because one was willing to look in the mirror, to look at his life, to examine his life. What was the difference between the two? Their heart. The difference was their heart. See, it says this in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasures of his heart uh, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, it's this heart that is changed by the gospel and the truth of God's word. It is this heart that is hardened, this heart that sees things in, through the eyes of I'm better than that person. It's the hardness of our hearts that is, 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 is changed or left hardened when the word doesn't go through and make a difference. The difference between these two men was their, was their heart. See, the heart of the Pharisees we see in, 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 in the Gospels. Of the, uh, you remember, I'm not going to go through them all, but the seven woes. And woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, blind guides. Woe to you. Seven times Jesus says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. He might as well put in there, woe to you in your heart. Because it's hard. It's hard. The heart of the Pharisees was hard. But the heart of the tax collector, it says this in Matthew 5, 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs. Being poor in spirit means admitting that we have nothing to offer God to atone for our sins. There's nothing that we can do. We come to God as empty, impoverished, despised, bankrupt, we, it is it's this place of humility. I don't like to walk in that place. It's a hard place to be. It's a difficult place to be. And I find myself, when we look at the, the, the Pharisee and I look at the tax collector, when it comes to, to my relationship with God as far as eternally in the gospel, eternal gospel, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily struggle there, but, but the, the judgment... The, the, the self-righteousness? Yeah. I don't, why not keep confessing, okay? Um, you guys probably want it, huh? Let me go another confession. About three, four years ago. Gosh, just in the last six months, God has shown me this. Look, if, if you're willing to ask, God will show you. When I left the church that, that I helped start before this one, and it was very difficult giving our lives to this. This is it's embarrassing to say, but it's four years, so I can laugh now, and you can laugh at me and with me as you see fit. But I looked at all the elders that were there when I was departing, and I said, this church won't make it without me. It's, it's humbling and embarrassing. 
there's just, I said, you won't make it. I can only imagine God sitting up there. And as the father that I see, laughing at that point. Not angry, because he's probably thinking, oh, what an idiot. I don't think he would have slapped me at that moment. But it just shook his head and go, we'll see. And about six months ago, I, I'm praying and I'm, I'm trying to deal with my own stuff. Yes, pastors have their stuff, okay? I'm dealing with my stuff. And this comes up. I'm like, oh, God. Because the reality is they're doing fine. And in my prayer time, as I'm going through this, not only do, does God show me, you know, your foolish, hardened heart, but, he's, but he, he reveals something to me that I hadn't seen before. He said, not only did I sustain that church and they're fine, but I used men that you poured your life into for 10 years. And they're the ones who kept it alive. I went, oh my gosh, the irony is crazy. <laughs> And I just started repenting. And as I'm looking at this story, I'm like, I can be such a Pharisee. I can be such that self-righteous son of a gun. But I want to be like the tax collector. I want to be able to be humble before God. I want to be, I want to be in a place where I just go look in the mirror every day and go, I deserve hell, but you give me life. I want to grab a hold of that scripture in Romans 3 that says, no one is righteous, not even one. But God, you give me life. The moment I start to separate myself from that scripture, the moment that I start to think, no, 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 I'm a pretty damn good person, is the moment that God goes, let's see. The moment that I sit in the gospel, the moment that I sit in this place of worshiping and trusting and, and walking it, and I can't stay there constantly, so i got to come back to it, and there's this constant battle and to and fro that takes place in all of our lives, and this enemy that wants to attack and take and steal and kill and destroy, and sometimes I let him, and most of the time I try not to, and yet all this stuff. That, but when I sit in the gospel, the hope that's in my life for everything that God has for me, it's incredible. And I know I can sit in that waiting room of that psych hospital that I might have to sit in again someday and know that the level of the playing field is completely level. And I'm no better. And I'm no worse. But I'm a sinner apart from Christ Jesus. That's it. And the hope of Jesus is what brings me hope and joy in my life. And all that other stuff, as difficult as it can be, I hold on to the hope that's Jesus Christ. I hold on to the hope. And I try to sit in this place that this tax collector sat in, who seeks only one thing that can bridge the gap between himself and God, Jesus. And he cries out, he literally cries, God have mercy. I don't know what you might be going through. I know what some of us are going through. I know exactly what I'm going through. But I'm telling you, as you cry out, God have mercy. 
And some of you are reeling and hurting from a broken relationship. Some of us are reeling and hurting from a loss. Some of us are reeling and hurting from our financial woe. Some of us are, whatever it might be. And the answer is this, God have mercy. I don't know anything else. It's all I got, but it's more than enough. Because God is sufficient. God is sufficient. The heart likes to compare. The answer is the gospel. At the end of the day, it's the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm going to stand on it. And I'm going to stand on it. And I'm going to grab a hold of it. And I'm going to stand on it. And I'm going to believe. And I'm going to believe. And I'm going to believe. And every addiction and every pain and every enemy's arrow that comes my way and every struggle and every, every, everything that comes at us that does in this world because the enemy hates you and wants to steal and kill and destroy, I'm going to stand on the gospel that says this, that it is the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And my hope is that way. It's eternal. It's there beyond this life. It's that life with Christ Jesus where there'll be no more pain and no more suffering. And all of this will pass too. That's the gospel. And that's why we're pointing to Easter. Because some 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for me. And he died for you. So that we could walk in hope. So that we could walk in hope. Thanks for listening to the Pacific Point Podcast. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com slash give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you were encouraged today.